And welcome to Around the Outside, the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with myself, Jake Peach, and usually Chris. However, he'll be back with us next week in the next episode here on Around the Outside. Don't forget, if you don't follow us already on social media, you can do so on Facebook. Just search Around the Outside podcast on Facebook or we're on Instagram and Twitter at ATO podcast underscore. In this week's episode, we're going to be coming off the back of the summer break where teams have had the big shutdown going back into the second half of the season now with just uh, only a handful of points between Verstappen and Hamilton to come. So we'll look at sort of the preparations they've been making going into Spa-Francorchamps and recorded off the back of quite an exhilarating but dangerous, uh, risky um, but rewarding qualifying session for a lot of teams across the grid. Um, And we'll catch up, first of all, with all the latest news around Formula One and the paddock. So off the back of an incredible race in Hungary at the Hungaroring with a very surprised shock winner of Esteban Ocon for the Alpine team with Bottas basically playing Skittles with the rest of the grid, uh, taking out Verstappen, Rebels, Norris uh, and Stroll and Leclerc caught up in an incident. It was Esteban Ocon and Vettel that ran away with that race with Hamilton coming back through the field after earlier clashes to take third and uh, not so optimum strategy. Um, But yes, coming back through, as he always does, to pick up the points. And um, Vettel, in the end, as we know, after the Hungaroring, was disqualified because there wasn't enough of a fuel sample to take for the FIA to do their testing to make sure the fuel that the team is using uh, is what it should be and that the right amount of fuel was being pumped through the fuel flow meter into the car uh, at the time going around doing the 70 or so laps around the Hungaroring. And we come off the back of that race into, you know, an incredible, well, second half of the season, which is just going to be, well, hopefully, if it's anything like the first half of the season, it's going to be even more exciting. Just recording this off the back of the Spa qualifying, which we just had the first race back after the summer break, which we'll go into in a bit more detail uh, in this episode. But first, let's catch up with all the latest news since we've been away. There's been quite a lot that's happened in the Formula One world. Um, First of all, we've had Sergio Perez sort of kick off the silly season, if you like, of driver announcements and where they're going to be going to this really crucial 2022 season where there's going to be big rule changes, performance that teams could switch instantly Um, and so it's really key for the teams to really think about the future and focus on this new generation of cars which is going to hopefully develop a really close much closer racing and uh, reduce the sort of dirty air effect that a lot of drivers experience across the grid at the moment Uh, Sergio Perez yes confirmed at Red Bull for 2022 Uh, he's impressed as a sort of a rear gunner for the team has had some mixed success I would say across across the first half of the year but of course picking up that win in Baku after Verstappen's tyre rear tyre blew out uh, with only laps to go an incredible bad luck for Verstappen of course in the first half of the season with him getting crashed out of Silverstone as well whether you saw that as a racing incident with Lewis Hamilton at Cops Corner or not uh, whatever side of the fence you sit on with that I'll leave to you but of course that means that Alex Albon is out of the running who was dropped from Red Bull last season however just taking his 
First victory in the DTM series in Germany around the Nürburgring last weekend has kind of put him back onto the radar again. Rebel said they are looking at other teams across the grid and options. Of course, they may be looking to their sister team, Alpha Tauri, once again to see if there's a space for Alex Albon. But Pierre Gasly and Sonoda seem to be just about, or Sonoda seems to be doing just about enough of a job. Uh, Pierre Gasly impressing uh, as he has done throughout the first half of the season, continuing to do so very consistently. Um, found a great sort of base level performance actually in that Alpha Tauri. So it doesn't seem that there'll be a seat for Alex Albon, particularly within the Red Bull family immediately, and uh, might mean that he has to look elsewhere outside the Red Bull program even though he's part of it. So, yeah, very, very confusing that one, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, and then, of course, we saw Alonso as well signed a contract ex extension uh, for Alpine. Apparently, in the media, he said that it took literally five seconds to sign the contract to stay on for another year. Bit of a no-brainer for him. Um, was very influential in the Hungaroring race previously, um, fending off Hamilton for a number of laps for his charge through, back through the field to allow his teammate Esteban Ocon to just hold on for the win towards the end of the race and pick up his first ever victory in Formula One. Uh, so it seems as well for the experience that Alonso brings and kind of the stature he has across the grid, seems very much a no-brainer for Alpine to offer him that contract going forward. And uh, yeah, at Le Mans, of course, for the first time ever, which I can't, I can't believe it's taken this long, first time ever to drive a Formula One car around the Le Mans circuit. Um, Alonso took to the track and... Um, Sort of did a lot of branding PR exercise with the Alpine motorsport cars, of course, in Le Mans in France, their home nation. Um, but it was really cool to see. He did say Le Mans would be a nice track to drive for Formula One, but uh, possibly a bit too narrow and uh, not quite suited for Formula One. But uh, with a few tweaks, you never know. We could see a race around there one day. But of course, with the other tracks in France, Paul Ricard and uh, Magny Corps, probably don't need to think about that but an iconic track Le Mans is and I was actually um, in, in the break of the podcast I was actually in France about an hour away from Le Mans uh, on holiday last week and I was so gutted that I had to come home on the day that the Le Mans 24 hours was starting um, yeah very disappointed didn't really plan that very well uh, but hopefully I can get back to Le Mans very very soon um, you know if you've got any experiences of Le Mans please uh, please uh, hit me up in the uh, messages on our Instagram uh, at ATO podcast underscore any tips for me how I should how we should plan that we could do a little trip here with the podcast um, it'd be great to get out there and experience some of that um, so whilst the always when the Formula One off season usually is uh, anyway I digress there's more news in Formula One we've had some challenges changes to the calendar um, in the past few days uh, Japan is not on anymore due to coronavirus rules uh, and regulations in, in line with the UK government. Se seven of the Formula 1 teams on the grid are British and Formula 1 itself based in the UK kind of has to adhere to the UK's advice and uh, regulations and all of that uh, and Japan becoming a bit of a, uh, a Covid hotspot it seems uh, too risky for the Formula 1 grid to go along to that one so we're going to see that race unfortunately not on at Suzuka this year um, but that's going to be moved in place of that race with Turkey which we were going to but I think we were going to a little bit later in the season but that's now being pulled forward to that date there and a race to be confirmed in November still to be filled in the gap 
now down to 22 races in the calendar, which is still pretty impressive considering, you know, the coronavirus pandemic and everything going on with that. Um, it's likely to go into be Qatar, which normally has MotoGP bikes going around it. As, as it's, a, it's mainly a MotoGP circuit, not really intended for Formula One, but uh, quite a tricky technical uh, sector two, um, but a very fast track still uh, very flowing uh, in, in sort of other sectors and parts of the track too. So that could be, you know, a, another great step for, for Formula One where we, where we go to a track where we haven't been to for a while. And um, we seem to think that it's done quite well and produces quite a good race. Remind you of any other track in Italy, perhaps in Mugello? You never know. These things normally happen by chance and coincidence and they end up actually producing quite a good decision um, for the sport going forward. So let's see how that pans out. Um, there was talk of two races as well at Cota, uh, the Circuit of, of Americas in Texas, which would see uh, would have been three races Um in 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 America within two years we've got obviously going to Miami next year um and then obviously Circuit of America's the purpose-built track in Texas uh, which has been become a real fan favorite on the calendar I would say I'm a big fan of the track uh, with lots of sort of uh, inspirations of other tracks taken on board with that we, you know, kind of the first section of Cota track is kind of like your Silverstone maggots and Beckett's and then you've got sort of a similar uh, turkey section towards the last sector of the track um Yes, we were going to have two races there to kind of help with the Formula One calendar. We had the Dakota president, I believe, at the Austrian race talking with Formula One bosses about the prospect. But it seems that we're only going to have the one race around the Circuit of Americas uh, now. But, you know, that, that's not a bad thing at all. Um, it's still a great track and I'm sure we'll enjoy it all the same. Uh, and then, of course, uh, sort of focusing and finishing on the driver aspect, talking about silly season this whole debate at the moment going around Bottas and Russell, who is going to get that second Mercedes seat. And I quickly mention uh, before coming on to Spa Frankfurt qualifying, Russell has just put his Williams onto P2 of the grid in changeable wet conditions. So just to add that in for context, Bottas nowhere to be seen. He has that five place grid penalty for causing the Skittles incident in the Hungara ring. Uh, however, you would think that that P2 uh, for George Russell, if the decision hasn't already been made for the, that Mercedes seat next season, has certainly done himself a lot of favours to get himself in that seat next to Lewis Hamilton next year for the 2022 season in Formula One. Um, but Bottas, a lot of people are saying that he, of course, it, it, he has the advantage of, of being at the team for a number of years. He's settled and his whole the, his whole thing of being at the team would have actually settled the team with this whole dynamic between him and Hamilton. I'm sure Hamilton is very much keen to keep Bottas on because it doesn't ruffle his feathers too much, allows Hamilton to do his thing. And you don't probably want Russell coming in next year, who will probably be a better prospect for the future of the team. If you think of like the stars of like Lando Norris, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz could be coming through, Max Verstappen uh, going to be sort of the protagonists for the Formula 1 titles in years to come and the hottest prospects on the grid and George Russell, of course, um, but only, you know, in the right car. Um, Bottas, if he stays there, is going to probably, you know, it doesn't look like he, he could probably take the championship. Uh, he's been very close at a lot of times with Hamilton, but it doesn't look like he, he's going to be challenging for that now with sort of the competition on the grid that's sort of getting better and better each year, becoming more rounded, these young talents really getting the experience together. But as if Russell comes to the Mercedes team, he's going to 
not ruffle feathers per se, but he, you know, it's gonna it's gonna unsettle. He's gonna be eager and raring to go, and he's gonna want to prove his point. He's gonna go and want out, go out there and win the Formula One world title as soon as he can, just like Hamilton did nearly in his first ever season, in his rookie season in 2007 in that McLaren. Um, and then, of course, the season after, he went on to win it in 2008. So you can kind of see history repeating itself if it goes that way. Um, it's basically a toss-up for Mercedes, really, if they want to keep the keep the boat sort of nice and steady and not rock it too much, or whether they're looking ahead to the future, whereas in the short term, they might have a bit of friction in the team between the drivers and uh, Russell trying to make his mark uh, on Hamilton and to the team and prove to the grid that he is very fast. We've already seen that, of course, in the secure race. He stepped in for Hamilton when he had COVID last season. Or basically, it's going to be a decision between, you know, stability or future. Essentially, that's what we're looking at with Bottas and Russell. So um, we've seen loads of media people trying to press for for an answer as to what the decision's going to be in the coming Grand Prix, but um, keeping tight-lipped when we got to Spa-Francorchamps um, and everyone trying to read into the body language. But, um, you know, as soon as we hear a decision about it, I'm sure it will be, you know, the best either way um, for, for the team. Um, I, I think you can't really make a wrong decision there. But, um, and probably if Bottas does leave Mercedes, it's looking like he's going to take over from Kimi Raikkonen at Alfa Romeo. And uh, you'd think that Bottas become the number one driver uh, and, you know, try and round that team and, and work with Alfa Romeo to bring Alfa Romeo up the grid with the new regulations. As, as we've said many times on this podcast, we don't know where these new regulations are going to take us. It, very, very exciting. Um, a couple of other little bits of housekeeping, I guess, um, of news. Not really major news, but we're going to have a new Overtake Award um, for this season. So, I mean, we always see it on, on YouTube and pe- people making their own kind of compilations of the best five overtakes. But there's now going to be an official award um, sponsored by Crypto.com uh, in partnership with Formula One to pick the best overtake. And there's been plenty this season. Um, I mean, I've, I've countless to think of how many, um, but, you know, I'm sure it will be a, a very, a very exciting overtake. You know, there's so many that happen. It's hard for me to kind of trace one, really. Um, but you, know, you, you could argue whether these overtake awards are going to be actually honoured in the sense of the charge through the field or whether it's going to be the overtake kind of in that moment. So whether it's all about the story up to the overtake or whether it's just the overtake itself. Um, but it'll be interesting to see that. And um, we've had a new Drive to Survive series, of course, confirmed. Series 4 will be coming, uh, capturing what is going on this season, all the trials and tribulations behind the scenes, um, which has been absolutely a roaring success since it came to Netflix and um, has really captured a load of new fans and uh, to Formula One and it's just been great to see uh, you know all these interviews very honest interviews from drivers and um, you know Gunter Steiner of course being his true self at, uh, at Haas being the team principal there and seeing what's what's going on there um, lots of banter going on already with Mazepin this season uh, there and um, all of the cult following that that he has maybe for the wrong or right reason. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how all that plays out on the new series of Drive to Survive. But we'll probably have to wait for that until next March, of course. So, you know, uh, put it in your diary, not one to keep an eye on, I guess, at the moment. Um, talking of Netflix as well, we've had Senna, haven't we? We've had that amazing film of of his 
just in, incredible career in Formula One and who he was as a person, one of the greatest drivers to ever grace the grid. Um, sadly, of course, losing his life in, in 94 in Imola, as we all know too well, if you're a keen Formula One fan, listen to this podcast. Um, but now we're going to be having a, a new sort of bio, biopic uh, of Schumacher and his career. And of course, Lewis Hamilton equaling the seven world title record that Schumacher uh, managed to amass with his time at uh, Jordan, uh, well, not at Jordan, but Benetton and Ferrari uh, and the titles he picked up during his career. And just, I think when people ask about the best drivers in Formula One, many people would put Michael Schumacher at the top of that list. Many people considered him as the first person to really take physical fitness very seriously and, you know, being in the car and how much that affected your ability to drive the car on its limit in terms of G-force, push the car more through corners. And if your body was able to take that, you could go quicker, obviously, and um, not have to pull out of it because you physically couldn't take the G-force or the kind of impact that was being put on your body so he was seen as very pioneering during that and we've mentioned on the podcast here before with Chris when he's been here that it's there's been a conversation in the past um, when I've watched a program where Michael Schumacher would be so in control and have so much natural ability that you wouldn't have to think at so much about driving the car he'd be just having casual conversations with the Ross Braun the team principal at Ferrari at the time just about what they were having for dinner having for tea um, it's just extraordinary um just so much natural talent and ability and sort of one in a million drivers that um, will always be living in legacy in the sport of Formula One. So I can't wait to see that on Netflix and that program. And for any Formula One fan, if you're listening to this and, and you don't know who Michael Schumacher is, please educate yourself on it straight away. <laughs> Read up on it. Um, and if, if you don't already... Uh, know about some of the sort of racing he's done and the action he's been involved in. Uh, hopefully we get to see a lot of it in this new film. And, um, you know, in a tragic skiing accident um, after his second spell in Formula 1 in, uh, in the Mercedes team when he came back out of retirement, he retired again and then was in this horrible skiing accident. And, and sadly, we haven't been able to see him in the world uh, since um, many people think, you know, he suffered serious injuries and, uh, you know, life-changing injuries. But if there's any clips within in that Schumacher documentary on, on Netflix. Um, I'm sure it'll be very landmark and um, quite, well, uh, emotional, I guess, because people haven't seen, heard of Michael Schumacher for, an, for a number of years, but um, we all sort of know the reasons why. But anyway, um, it'd be great to see that. I believe that's coming out in, in September a little bit. Not, so not too long to wait for that. Can't wait to watch that. Um, so that's kind of all the latest news rounding up in the world of Formula 1. Uh, let's move on to this weekend then around Spa-Francorchamps back for Formula 1. All right, after 11 races in the first half of the season, we now know that we've got 11 left. First half of the season out the way and there's a handful of points in the championship between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. They come back into the second half of the season looking to make their mark on the Formula One World Drivers Championship and it literally could be anything that affects the title race this season. It could be very, very fine margins and every point will count. Um, it's going to be very close. The closest, probably the challenge that Mercedes have ever had in this hybrid era that they've completely dominated since they began in 2014, kind of understood the blueprint 
of these regulations, these new hybrid regulations, and I've totally, totally run away with it ever, ever since. Um, we were talking about Michael Schumacher there. Um, it's been 30 years since Michael Schumacher's debut at Spa for the Jordan team in 1991, where he qualified seventh, even though he'd never driven the track before. Uh, he said to the Jordan team at the time that he was just going to go and cycle round the track to take it in. Probably, you know, very different, very much lower speeds than uh, his Jordan would have managed. But he managed to learn the track, take it in that way and put it on P7. Unfortunately, in the race, he had some clutch issues that put him out of that. But uh, it's been 30 years since Michael Schumacher did his first ever, ever F1 race. And now his son, of course, Mick Schumacher on the grid in the Haas, uh, will, of course, be trying to make his way up the grid in the next few seasons and try and emulate some of the things that his father did uh, in the sport. Um, it's also Ricardo's Daniel Ricciardo's 200th Grand Prix this weekend at Spa-Francorchamps. And it's quite surprising to say that. Remember, if you can remember back to when Daniel Ricciardo started out in an HRT, Hispania racing team, um, which, cool, that goes back away, doesn't it? Uh, unfortunately, Hispania never really sort of had the resources or the backing to get themselves up the grid like they would have wanted to. Uh, but then, of course, made his way to Toro Rosso into the Red Bull family was at Red Bull, now finds himself at McLaren, just about starting to get to grips with his McLaren car, although in, in qualifying, I'm recording this off the back of qualifying in, in Spa, so if you haven't seen that yet, um, please go and watch that first and come back to this now. There you go. Uh, and and Daniel Carl, yeah, just starting to get to grips with his McLaren. Uh, his teammate Lando Norris in Spa, Frank on Champ, coming off the back of a really impressive run up to Hungaroring uh, in the first half of the season. 15 consecutive point scoring races for him puts him third in the Drivers' Championship at the moment, above Valtteri Bottas. Um, which is, you know, quite an amazing feat and just the consistency that we've seen from Lada Norris shown in that McLaren and how he's just got to grips with it in the three years he's had with that team in his third year now. Um, but yes, Ricardo's 200 Grand Prix, trying to hopefully celebrate that with a with a strong result. However, changeable conditions in Spa cause, well, just an incredible uh, finishing article uh, at the end of qualifying. We had Max Verstappen taking pole by three tenths to George Russell, which I just, I just don't understand. Where did he pull that time out? He's in the Williams. Williams regarded the last few seasons as the car that is one of, you know, unfortunately not as quick, one of the most competitive cars on the grid. And he's managed to put it in P2 on changeable conditions. We know that the rain can change anything. Uh, we think back to many rain filled races uh, and, and results. Jensen Button in changeable conditions in Montreal coming way back from the grid to take victory on the last lap from Sebastian Vettel in the early 2010s. Uh, and you just think about lo loads of moments. Weather and rain changes things all the time and it's worked in George Russell's favour. The team, the Williams team got everything right uh, onto P2 uh, on the grid for Spa, whether he can actually hold on to that lead tomorrow. Um, at the time of this recording on the Saturday. Who knows? Uh, we'll come on to my sort of race predictions uh, for the final grid uh, on Sunday, the finishing positions in a few minutes' time. Um, but George Russell putting that there, an impressive second place in that Williams, which should really not be up there, if we're being honest. Um, so great to see that. Uh, on, third, on the third row of the... No... Third place uh, on the grid for the Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton, who 
managed to claw himself out of the drop zone um, or way down where he shouldn't have been and put his uh, his Mercedes uh, into Q3. At the end of Q2, it was looking very sketchy. He had to make that one lap count, um, but then put himself into P3 in Q3 and uh, it would be a good position for him to start in the race. Very crucial for Hamilton to hit the ground running. Now Max Verstappen has got the jump on him uh, in, in this qualifying session in P1. It's going to be just so crucial. Every single point from this point on, uh, really, if you think about it, Lewis Hamilton is very lucky because Verstappen has dropped 50 or so points from all the instants he was involved in in the first half of the season with the uh, instant in, in Silverstone. And then we had the instant in Hyundai Hungaring and we had the instant in Baku. You think about the lot of bad luck that Max Verstappen has had. He is a very credible um, contender for the world title at Red Bull, the most competitive to the Mercedes that he's ever been. And it's just, well, no one would really call it. As I say, handful of points between the two of them and um, in changeable conditions, both drivers, for well, Verstappen and Hamilton, it could really go uh, anyone's way, that's for sure. An impressive performance from the Aston Martin team as well, a team at the start of the season who just looked um, nowhere uh, and the design of their car, complaining about the rake of the car, how the car is angled um, going along the road, whether the front of the car points uh, up more and the rear of the car is, is sort of more into the ground, sort of like a pivoted you know sort of uh, 20 degree angle um with the certain design of the car the new regulations that came in for this season um, but Aston Martin seemed to have turned it around they seemed to have found some pace and um with Sebastian Vettel getting some great performances throughout the season um it's sort of looking to carry that on here at Spa uh this weekend so it has been quite uh, a busy some break as it always is off the grid um but now looking to carry the momentum uh, forward for Aston Martin certainly into the second half of the season and try and dent a little bit of the progress that Alpha Tauri had and Alpine and Ferrari. It's been a it's been a really mixed kind of first half of the season, I would say, for the the first sort of for the midfield, if you like. All right, so coming on to this weekend, then we are back a racing uh, in Formula One. At Spa Francorchamps, one of the greatest circuits in on the calendar and in the history of the sport, been racing there since 1950, since its inaugural uh, championship. And this weekend, it's very hard to see how Max Verstappen cannot take victory for P1. Um, very hard to see how the momentum that Red Bull kind of had dented in the uh, towards the end of the first half of the season. Um, but not carry on. He's got the Dutch fans there, obviously Netherlands right next door to Belgium. He was born 100 miles away um, from where the track is at Spa-Francorchamps in in, Belgium, in in Holland, in the Netherlands. And a lot of fans there supporting him this weekend, hopefully looking to push him on uh, as, as the British fans did for Hamilton at Silverstone with that instant uh, just before the, the summer break. Um, so it's, I think personally we're going to see uh, in changeable conditions, we know how Hamilton is so impressive in these wet, changeable conditions and how he has a great feel for the car. But Verstappen also an incredible driver for these same conditions. I think we're going to see Verstappen taking the victory, um, barring any incidents at Turn 1. But as we know in the last few Grand Prix, anything can happen and uh, can completely mix things up totally. Um whether George Russell can hold on to that second place, only time will tell. Um, 
the pace was absolutely uh, on merit like it was in Austria when he was in the midfield in sort of P7, P8 before he had those hydraulic issues. Hopefully any issues with the Williams cars can stay out of the way and um, George Russell couldn't fight for a podium. Uh, a podium in that Williams car would be an incredible feat. And George Russell looked like he was going to be on pole for Spa-Francorchamps only up to when Verstappen crossed the line. But he had claimed first position before Verstappen crossed the line and everyone was getting so excited and couldn't actually believe what they were seeing. Purple sectors for George Russell. But yes, uh, be seeing if they can convert the race pace uh, into uh, into the Grand Prix on, on Sunday, which at the time of this recording will be tomorrow. But if we have dry conditions, of course, the playing field will kind of be set at level again. If it's changeable again, anything can happen, uh, as we know. And teams and strategy become, and their influence becomes more and more important, uh, that's for sure. Um, third place on the grid. Really hard to call that one because, well, I think I said Lando Norris in the last one, then he got taken out. Um, and then there's just lots of very competitive drivers in that midfield at the moment. Bottas, all the way down with that five-place grid penalty, will be in the bottom half of the grid uh, in sort of past 10th place. So whether he can claw his way back up uh, into that third place, um, I, I would struggle to see that happening. But Perez as well, I believe down in sort of seventh or eighth position. Um, but we... We don't know. He could well work his way up back. I'm going to say George Russell third because it would be really nice to see George Russell uh, claim that amazing effort that he put in in qualifying if the conditions stay changeable and a bit wet. Um, so I'm going to say for Stappen, Hamilton and George Russell, what an amazing result for, for all of those drivers it would be. I guess Hamilton, of course, wants to be in the lead. Only time will tell, and uh, I'm going to be enjoying the Grand Prix, uh, hopefully, as much as you are listening to this. Um, thank you so much for listening to this solo podcast today. You've listened to me rabbit on for a good half an hour or so. Uh, Chris will be back here next week to offer his opinion and reflection on the race in Spa-Francorchamps, and then we look to the next Grand Prix. In the Netherlands, the Dutch Grand Prix, the home Grand Prix of Verstappen, finally around Zandvoort. Um, an, an incredible track, an interesting sort of a circuit layout itself. And uh, Verstappen, of course, will be looking to take that momentum uh, from Spa if he does well there into his home Grand Prix and make the most of that opportunity there. But as I say, it's been me, Jake Peach, on this episode for Around the Outside. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We're back next week reflecting on all things in Formula 1, catching up on the latest news and what happened at Spa Franklin Shop uh, this weekend. Do take care and we'll see you next time here on Around the Outside. Oh, 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 oh,